All through the past two and a half weeks, I thought of what I would say to you upon my return. But I want to suggest that I did not know the danger I was in over the past two weeks. And I thought, I have no question in my mind that this is what the Lord would have me to do this morning, to share with you some thoughts from what took place over the last two and a half weeks. As you know, I am an early riser. I get up early in the mornings for different responsibilities. And two and a half weeks Monday, I got up, I did what I usually do, and then I went for my two-mile walk. But when I got to the, the field, I could only do a mile. Immediately, I found myself short of breath, didn't know what was happening. So I grasped and went back home, got in the car, drank some water, and when I got back home, I was fine. So I thought nothing of it. Tuesday night, I was walking. Those of you who have been in our home know that I, we live in a two-story house. And I was on my way upstairs and found myself unable to walk upstairs. I, I didn't know just what it, it was. Now, I have just been recently diagnosed with a touch of diabetes. So I was told, you know, every time I would go to see my doctor, um, you asked me what feelings in my, 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 my leg or anything, so whatever feelings I had in my leg, I thought must be diabetes. So I just took it like that. Having had this problem with short of shortness of breath, I decided to make an appointment with my doctor Thursday, two weeks ago, so that I could see him on Friday. I had a diabetes appointment with him on the 26th, but I thought that would be too late. So I decided to, to do one as quickly as I could, but he was on vacation. So I was told that I could see the practitioner. I said, I'll see anybody I can, because um, I, I didn't notice what was happening. Well, Friday morning, I got up at my usual time. That's two weeks ago. And I am sitting at my desk, and all of a sudden, this shortness of breath came like you wouldn't believe it. I got up. I, the first thing I did was wrong. I took two aspirins. I was told afterwards, leave the aspirins in the counter of the drugstore. <laughs> Excuse me, the pharmacy. We say drugstore in Canada. I just want you to know. And I was just having a tough time. And, I'm talking about the providence of God at this point. So now I am grasped. I, I, I can't breathe. Now I remember that one of the things that my, my wife was told, that she is not to have any anxiety. <laughs> so here we are, 5.30 in the morning, and I can't breathe. And I, I'm grasping, and I... So I, she's fast asleep. I woke her up. I said, 
Don't panic, but call 911. <laughs> That's the truth. Don't panic, but call 911. She didn't panic, and she called 911. They were there, the, the ambulance and the uh, fire truck, and they did some stuff, and they thought I was just going to be there for the day. They couldn't tell exactly what it was. But I was rushed to the emergency. As I got into emergency, they started the process. When I, they told me, asked me to, when I got in, they wanted to take an x-ray of my chest to see what was going on. I couldn't stand up because I couldn't breathe. So they, while I am in there now, this is about 5.30, quarter to 6 in the morning, we, Lois couldn't make any contact with outside in the emergency. We had to go outside because the, all the equipment's there. She walked out there trying to make contact with our children. Patty is there. She just happened to be there at 5.30 in the morning <laughs> at Salem Hospital, the providence of God. She was there to give Lois some physical and spiritual encouragement that was most necessary at that time because at that time we still didn't know what was happening. I didn't know all this. She's going to come back and tell me. As the doctor came in, Dr. Kirkpatrick, the x-ray didn't tell him anything. He said, I'm going to take an MRI right away. Well, as they did the MRI, both my lungs were covered with clots. And that is one of the reasons I could not breathe. And they were shocked that I made it to the hospital. I should not have made it. All the time, they asked me about signs. I had no signs, no back pains, no... I didn't feel, but all the time it was happening. The clots started in my leg, my right leg that I thought was just uh, having to do with um, diabetes. And now I realize what it was. The doctor came in, told us what the situation was, shocked as ever that I should be even alive. He said, I have to do a procedure where they were going to put two stuff up my leg here to stop the clots from continuing to rise toward my heart. This is the worst part of it. He said, you will have to be motionless for 11 and a half hours. Oh, my, I thought he was joking. <laughs> but there was nothing on his face that said joke. <laughs> you will have to be motionless for 11 and a half hours. And I was in, in bed. And I'm sure that for, for 10 and a half hours, the clock, the hands never moved. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like I was there for an eternity. I couldn't couldn't twist, I couldn't lift my, I shouldn't lift my head, couldn't turn, and I, I was just on my back. So about 10 o'clock, the doctor came around and said, okay, I think I'll remove them in about an hour's time, which would be about 11 o'clock. And he came and he moved 
the um, whatever they put in there. <laughs> and then they had to go through another process. Because whatever is putting this started to bleed now. And so to, to stop the bleed, the bleeding, they had to apply pressure to the wounds that they had inflicted on me. And on the one side of my, 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 my left side, they had a clamp. And that clamp was, was to find where the, the, the nerve center was and then to, to pressure it until they could hear what the little monitor they had on my... I learned things about my body I didn't know was possible. And she said um, they needed to find where my, the, 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 um, the pressure was, so they moved it around until I screamed. <laughs> and then what they had to do was to apply the pressure and the little machine they had until they could hear the pulse no longer, then they knew they had it where it wanted. But she was on the other side. They couldn't put two clamps. They could only use one because the clamps would collide if they did. So now the nurse was on the other side with her fist pushing down on that wound and said, okay, Winston, just breathe now. <laughs> just breathe. And then she started to tell blonde jokes. <laughs> I kid you not, blonde jokes. And I heard jokes about what her son said, why, why did the toilet paper run down the hill? Because it wanted to get to the bottom. <laughs> and I'm there with her fist in my side, you know, and I am telling you, it is. And she's, breathe, Winston, breathe. So I thought I'd better join, and I'd tell her some of my pastoral jokes. <laughs> The first part of the story is about the providence of God. And I, I share it because, especially men, we tend to think that we have everything in our control. I was sick, near death, and didn't know it. Do you know that I was invited to Seattle that Wednesday to see the Blue Jays play the Mariners. But Willie died. And had Willie not died, I would have been on my way to Seattle, and the worst thing I could have done was to be on a long trip. The providence of God. Lois needed some physical face there in the morning at the hospital. Patty was there. And all through this process, my awareness was of the providence of God. Providence theologically means to go before and arrange so that things will work according to plan. That's what providence is. And I think that for you and for me, none of us will know until we get to heaven how God had providentially taken care of us. The second part was the peace. I experienced 
an enormous peace that not something I tried for. My heart was, was filled with God's promises. And during the night, when, oh, bless you, nurses, when every two hours they came for blood, every four hours my blood pressure was taken, every, I mean, then they come in the morning, did you have a good night? It, it, it's, 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 like, it's like the dentist that has all these stuff in your mouth and asks you questions. You know, and, and, and there we were. But there, in the night season, peace, perfect peace. The first doctor came in. This is the first one we're going to see after Dr. Kirkpatrick. I was reading a book by J.I. Packer. And he looked at me, he said, when I read your chart, I didn't expect to come here and see someone reading a book. You are a miracle. Wow. So he shared with us and told us things and helped us all the time. I didn't know one moment of anxiety. Not one moment of unruffled spirit. The peace of God garrisoned my heart that I was kept. I was preserved. Psalm 41 verse 3 says, He sustained them in their bed of illness. And God was sustaining me with his peace. I want to say this. One of the things I learned the first school I attended was memorizing of scripture. To hide the word of God in your heart. And I have practiced that all my Christian life. And in those moments on that bed when I was not supposed to move, when there was nothing except tubes running all over the place, the scriptures was the means by which God garrisoned my heart with his peace. I don't know how else to say it. The second doctor came in, and he said, I read your chart. What are you doing in this place? You are too healthy to be in here. Except, again, the providence of God. He was keeping me. He was preserving me. So this doctor came in, Lois was sitting there, and he started to tell us all the things about the uniqueness of the body and, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And we're listening. And um, interestingly enough, Pam had stopped in just the day before and told us, told my wife, not me, about something on the cell phone that you can record things that are being said. And I have never wanted my wife to use the phone so much, cell phone, as when that doctor was speaking. And sure enough, she was. She was recording everything that the doctor said, which I asked afterwards, not while the doctor was there. And he just gave us tremendous explanation of the body and everything 
So I thought, Lord, I can't let this man get away with just telling me about my body without me telling him about you. <laughs> he got a call, gave me a chance to just lift my heart to the Lord. Lord, make it possible for me to be able to say to this doctor, Doctor, do you know something? So he came back from his call, and I said to him, I said, you know, doctor, you were telling me just now about the intricacies of the body and how God has made the body, how the balance is there. And I said, you know, when the astronaut was coming back from space and he was coming from the dark side of the moon, he looked on the earth and he burst out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The only thing that could suffice for what he was seeing was God made all this. I said, well, I'd like to borrow a page from the astronaut. As you were explaining to me about my body, about the balance, the intricacies, I said, the only thing that come to my mind is that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what my Bible says. And he looked at me, he said, I've always said that the, the, the body is magic. The body is magic. I said, you can call it what you want. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, that just gave him an opening for some more information about my body. <laughs> and he, I mean, he stayed almost a half an hour more telling us about the blood cells, which was not up my alley, but I was acquainted because I had just read uh, Philip Yancey's book on the cells and what the enemy, I mean, he went on. And everything that the doctor was telling me about my body the psalmist puts in one little verse of scripture that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That your body and my body are wonders of God. And even when there is sickness, God is preserving those who are his own because he sustains them even on their bed of illness. That's what I experience. The providence of God, the peace of God. The third part of the whole scenario is the prayers of God's people. You are praying. And I am sure as I'm standing here that the reason I made it to the hospital was not that you were praying then. I have a lady in Toronto at that moment that I was being rushed to the hospital, she was on her knees praying for me at that moment. But your prayers had gone before. I know some of you have been concerned. Um, for, for me, be careful uh, and, and, and so on. And you, you have been praying. And I saw something of prayers I never saw before that when we pray and we think that God is not doing anything with our prayers, he is reserving those prayers for a time to come. And that morning, when I needed to be sustained by prayers to get to the hospital, God was able to respond to the prayers of the people of Soderville and took me there to the hospital. I was being prayed for in Chicago where my sisters and their churches were praying. I was being prayed for in Toronto, where the church I was at before coming 
had me publicly prayed for. I was being prayed for all across the country. This is what I want to say about prayers. Prayers is not a religious practice that we do. Prayer is the means by which God connects us with one another and with himself. When we are told to pray for one another, God had good reasons for that. Because we are connected to one another, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that, that I became aware of is how many things are connected to other things in, in my body and the pills I have to take has to, has to coordinate with this kind of pills because it can counteract and, and so on. And oh my word, when, when I was told, you'll have to take blood thinner for, the rest, thinner for the rest of your life, I thought that sounds like a sentence. Sounds like you're being sentenced for the rest of your life. But isn't it wonderful? Here's one thing I forgot to mention about the providence of God. Isn't it wonderful that this didn't happen when Lois was in hospital in Portland? It came at the end of her recovery. Then she was able to respond to me as I was even in the midst of that. Now I look back that the, the clots were beginning to form then. But God sustained me during that time. Jump ahead again to the prayers. One of the things I had to do, um, and, and, and believe me, this is part of, as you were asking God for, for his protection of my life, I had to give myself needles. I had to pinch my, my stomach and put a needle in. I tell you, I, I would have stood at my head rather than doing that. I, I, one of the things, by the way, I'll tell you what I lost in the hospital. I lost my dignity. <laughs> I lost my dignity. I never thought I would ever get in the position in front of people as I had to get in the hospital. And while while it was going on, I spoke to myself, Thurton, if you didn't need it, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so just endure it and take it. And oh, man, I can tell you stories that I, I don't want to. <laughs> but knowing that you were praying, knowing that while I was there, Lois was getting phone call from Kim, cards about others saying, do you need anything? Do you need this? Do you need this? That is part of the peace that I enjoyed. Because even though we were living all the way there in Salem, you were a part of my journey by your prayers. And Paul puts it this way, that when you answer prayers, when God answers prayers, three things happen. When he answers, those who prayed Rejoice and give God thanks. Those who prayed with those who prayed, give God thanks. And God gets all the glory. That's how I see it. His providence, his peace, 
the prayers of God's people. You know, it, I almost got to the place where I said, I wonder if I should move to Soderville. <laughs> now that's a miracle. <laughs> I'm not there as yet. <laughs> but I thank God, my friends, that while I was there, there was Paul, there was John, there were others of you praying and sustaining. And the only thing I can say about the experience, because my times are in God's hands, God is not yet finished with my work here. And he wants me to be faithful to him. And as long as he gives me breath, as long as he gives me strength, I want to do what I've been called to do. And that is to feed the body of Christ, to love Jesus Christ supremely, and out of my affection for Christ, be devoted to the body of Christ he has called me to serve. And so to God be the glory, for great is his faithfulness.